Get your message notes and, um, and get your Bible out and turn to Exodus 33, 16. Here's what I believe. I believe God has something for one chapel as we move forward that is going to end up looking different than where we've already been. I think because change, right, change is this thing, God is the author of real change. He changes people's lives. So he's totally into change. But he's also the God who makes everything new. So he, he makes all things new and he, and he changes things. And I, as I've been praying about One Chapel and, and as the, you know, the, there's a transitional season where we're, we're coming through, uh, up to, we're heading up to a f- our five-year anniversary, that I, I, I feel like we're, uh, you know, moving into this, this season, a second mile, if you will, of One Chapel that's ahead. And... Um, and there's some things that we need to sort of reintroduce and reconfirm. We need to affirm them as foundations that we really believe in. Because in the midst of change, in the midst of transition, often people lose their moorings. They're not sure what's going on. I, I want to I spend the next three weeks and I want to talk to you about the DNA of our church. And when we talk about the DNA of our church, we're going to talk about Really, it's the DNA of really all Christian believers, but very specifically who we are as one chapel and what God is doing with us and what we believe very firmly at the very core of our existence. And so those things are not going to change, right? And so we're going to drill down a little bit. We're going to talk about a few things. DNA is a very interesting idea. It's a very interesting uh, um, little, it's not an acronym, it's an abbreviation, and it stands for something. It's there in your message notes. I don't know if you've ever seen this word before. I had never actually seen the word. I know what DNA means, but I only know what DNA means because I watched Jurassic Park. <laughs> so, so I know how the dino DNA gets filled with little frog DNA. And so, but, but the word is actually, I want you to say the word with me, DNA, right? DNA, and look, everybody together, ready? One, two, three. Deoxyribonucleic acid. That's pretty good. It's a self-replicating material present in nearly all living organisms. It's uh, the carrier of genetic information. Um, self-replicating, I want you to circle that idea. I think what God does is he creates us to be who we are and then we self-replicate. That's something that, sh- that is a natural byproduct of what he's put inside of us. And, and I, think, I think one chapel uh, is going to self-replicate and, and, and in many ways. And it's important that we, that we have identified and we're embracing who we really are as a community of Christ in Austin. I was watching a, a, a show on his, the History Channel recently, and it's a show called Alone. Have you ever seen this show? It's Alone. It's a, it's a reality show, and it's essentially a bunch of guys who are in a competition to see who can last the longest being alone in the wilderness. 
They're only allowed to take a backpack with about 10 things in it. And so they put, the, put, put those things in their backpack and they send them out and they have to live alone for as long as they can. And the last one to not tap out wins. And there's a big uh, money prize and all this kind of stuff. So, but it's a fascinating thing because I, I was watching a review of the, la- of the first season. And so um, three guys were sitting there and they were talking about their experiences. So we're watching the show, but they're commenting. And it was really fascinating because they're talking about themselves as they went through the process. And so they have to, you know, they're killing all their own food. They're, they're setting up all their own shelters. They're trying to make life sustainable, but they're alone. And somewhere along the line, about 21 days, past 21 days, 24 days, maybe 30 days in, each of them had a moment where they broke down emotionally. One guy, he, he tried to make a, 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 a thing that he, he was going to capture or catch fish on, and it didn't work. It failed miserably, and he was counting on it. And, and, it, and, he, and he got back to the, to, the, to the beach where he was, and he just sat down, and he just started convulsing just an upheaval of emotion. And what they each said at some point in their journey is, the, is they just said, this is so hard. I don't know if I can do this. And they said something like, I just feel so alone. It's like, duh. <laughs> that's, that's the show. What do you think you were signing up for? You're alone in the wilderness. But there's a thing where, but this loneliness sets in on them that overwhelms them emotionally. And it causes them to be so um, overwhelmed and they have to kind of gather themselves so they can keep going. And several of them tap out early, like we're done. I can't do this. I can't keep going. They either couldn't find food or they couldn't, you know, different things happen to them. The second thing that happened to them was really fascinating is all of them shared this idea. And there was a moment when it went from just being physically hard to being very spiritual. That something really spiritual happened. They had an emotional upheaval and they had a spiritual upheaval that came out of them. Or as one guy said, it just got really deep. And depending on their view of God and, and their own spirituality, they, they interpret it through that lens, of course. But it was highly spiritual. And that, what, what I think is true about all humans is I think we are not made to be alone. Being alone is very hard. One of the first portions of the scripture, right in Genesis, when you, when you read through the chapters, one of the first things God says about humans is, it's not good for man to be alone. But we... we there's, we feel alone, and these guys all came face to face with that sense of, of loneliness and emptiness, and then it turned spiritual on them. Something happened spiritually in their, in their hearts, in their psyche, in their minds, in their experience. And most of you, you know, most of us have never gone 24 days in the wilderness alone with a GoPro. And it was really alone. They didn't have camera crews. It was just them and a GoPro filming themselves. So they were truly alone. So, but I guess everybody in this room probably has had moments in their lives when things fall apart. 
You feel like you're alone in the midst of the crowd. And you feel so alone, you need God. You want God to show up. I think when we talk about the presence of God, what we're, what we're grasping for, what we're wrestling for is this truth, that God is present within us and he is present among us as a community. And that requires faith from time to time because you feel alone. You wonder where he might be. But presence-based ministry, what we're talking about as a church where we believe that the presence of God leads us, guides us, drives us, instructs us, it is the origin of everything that happens here. I think it is the, the, the DNA of being born again, is the spirit of God comes into a person's life. They're born, they're, they're, they're supernaturally awakened. Their spirit is born into a new understanding of who they are, and God does that. That's what the miracle is. But everybody has this moment where they wrestle, where they struggle feeling alone. Maybe it, maybe, maybe it happens in a, in a very bad way. When the boss walks in your office and says, we have to lay some people off, I'm sorry. Like a moment where, when the doctor says, there's nothing more we can do for you, I'm so sorry. You get to this point and there has to be a faith that God is with you. And by the way, the way you have that faith, right? We're going to talk about this. We're going to unpack this a little bit. But this is, you have to believe that this is God's intention to be with you. To be with you. To be with me and, and to, to be with us as a community. And I want, it, I want you to see this. But it's not just bad things that happen that cause us to hunger for God to come and be with us. It is also beauty and wonder. I mean, I love the mountains, but they kind of are all about hard work for me. I lived in the mountains for several years, so I like to go to the beach because beach means vacation. I love the beach. I love the ocean. And when I go to the ocean, I just sense the bigness and, and the grandeur of God in a way that um, is profound for me camping and looking up at the stars and talking to your kids about the universe. These are, these are clues. These are clues that reveal that God is here, is with us. And so you have to, you have to embrace this idea. Through the worst and, and the best moments of our lives, we search for God's presence, but I, I want to be a church that's not stumbling upon it, but is actively seeking his presence and cultivating this idea that we are relating and we're connected to what he's doing and that he's living in us. And so God's presence is the distinguishing mark of his people. This is essentially... This is essentially what uh, Moses says in Exodus 33 and verse 16. If you, if you have it there, I want to read it to you. Here it is. We'll start in verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? 
I like this. Moses is, is saying, God, you've got, you got to lead your people. You've delivered us from Egypt. You, you've done these miracles. Now, we, please, please stay with us, right? This is God's design. And God, God has delivered them from Egypt. He's done miraculous works where he wants to show his power and his favor through these people. He sa- Moses says, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses is having this dialogue with God about who they are. And the, the most distinguishing characteristic of God's people is they carry something, a presence, a power, an authority. Now, as I'm describing that, you know, some of you are thinking to yourself, ah, I, don't, I don't carry that. All I, all I seem to do is gravitate to God when I need things. Or I gravitate to God's presence when I'm in trouble. Could I challenge you that there's another way? That God is really with you and for you and not against you? That the, that the enemy's desire is to convince you that he's mad at you and he doesn't want to have anything to do with you? And that you're such a failure and you, don't, you haven't done enough good things. And that, this, that's not the gospel. The gospel is God himself sent Jesus to represent him, to be with us, to understand our human condition, and then to draw us to himself. He wants to be with us, present. So if we look at the big picture, all right? I'm not going to spend too long on this. I want you to see three steps. God's design, God's redesign, and then God's ultimate design. All right? You can fill in your message notes if you want to. God's initial design was Adam and Eve in the garden, beauty everywhere, gave them a wonderful thing to take care of, and he, and he gave them a job, and he encouraged them along the way. They, they, were, they were interacting on a routine basis. There was fellowship. It was wonderful. But then sin entered in through disobedience. Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and things start going chaotic. They start being full of fear. Violence enters into the story with Cain and Abel, the first murder in the Bible. Very quickly, things keep unraveling. God's desire is to be with him. You even see in, in Genesis chapter 4, Cain saying, I don't want to be away from your presence after he's murdered Abel, and after he is enduring the the discipline of the Lord, he's like, I don't want to be away from your presence. There was enough of a tangible understanding that God's presence is here. In those early creation, in that early creation history, and so, so this is God's design, is to be with people, to interact with them, but of course, um, as things start unraveling, Genesis 6, the flood comes and starts over because God sees that every thought of every person is only evil all the time. That's a quote, by the way, in Genesis 6. Every thought, only evil all the time. <laughs> They're destroying themselves is what's, is what's happening. They're destroying each other. Humanity is. God begins to put it together and finally he... he he, he, he's a creator, so he, he has all these amazing things he can do to create something new, to change what is, and to create something new. So he chooses one man, Abraham, 
And Abraham becomes the father of a family and a father of faith. And he has children miraculously at an old age. And his children's children become, begin to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. The nation of Israel becomes the 12 tribes. And, and this nation begins to move and call out to God when they get trapped in Egypt. And, and God delivers them. And he takes them through the Red Sea and they're in the wilderness and that's where we find Exodus 33 discussion going on and God is moving with them even though they keep, re they keep going back to Egyptian ways. And so God is, God is going to be with them and he's going to take them through this journey and this process and here's what he does. He starts instructing them, here's how you set this up. I want you to give you the Ten Commandments. I'm going to give you a, a, a way to worship, and I'm going to instruct you on how to be a community of God, how to be God's people. And he begins to lay this out. And one of the fascinating things he does is he puts the tent of meeting, the place where God dwells, in the center of the community. And in these ancient days, there was really, it was very um, customary when you go into a new territory, when you go into a new land, you would, you would do things, you would pray, you would sacrifice to the gods of that territory to appease them. You would, have, you would pray for these crops to grow and for, you'd have blessing in everything you do. God said, I, that's not how I work. He was not a God that was limited by geography. He was not a God who was limited to geography. He said, I've created it all, I own it all, and I'm over it all, and so I'm going to be with you wherever you end up as you go through this journey. I think you could listen to that, and God would speak that to you too. I'm, I created it all, I'm over it all, and I'm going to be with you wherever you end up on this journey, both the good and the bad. And God is speaking that to his people and his nation. And that's the way they set it up. They set up, when, it, when they set up camp, they set up the place of worship. And they put the tent up and they, they, he had all these specific things, the textures and the w colors and different things and creating this place of worship. And of course, the Ark of the Covenant, right, was there, right? That carried on the shoulders of the priests, right? You know the Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones and the last <laughs> crusade and yeah, Steven Spielberg, he helps us with Bible knowledge. So, so, we, so, we, so he, this was God's redesign, and he's, and he's showing how he's going to be with his people. And make no mistake, his promise to Abraham was, in Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations of the world. Okay? He's got a plan, and he's going to reveal in this family line one man. One man. Who, was, who, who came onto the scene, he was the Messiah, Jesus himself, and he became what Colossians 1 says is the visible image of the invisible God. So he showed us who God was and what, what God was like, the healer, the deliverer, the savior. And he came and demonstrated miraculous powers and signs and wonders and who God is for three years and then took the, the sins of the entire world upon himself and gave his life on a cross. And he died and he was placed in a tomb, but then he was resurrected. How was he resurrected? By the power of God. How was that power expressed? It was expressed 
in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus became the first among many brothers and sisters that were going to be born again and were going to experience resurrection life by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, here's what he said in the, as, he, as, he, as, he, as God revealed his ultimate design. John 14, 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. One translation calls him the comforter, another the counselor, another the advocate. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God among us. It's such a way better idea, way better idea than even what was going on in the nation of Israel. What it was was going back to the original design where the breath of God comes into the life of a person and sustains them by his strength, by his spirit, by his presence. That's what God designed. The ultimate design is that we, will, that we will be the ones who interact with his presence by the work of the Holy Spirit. They call them the helper. This is the term. He helps us. What does he help us with? Here's a few things. He helps us with finding freedom in our lives. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, what does it say? Freedom. Wherever God's Spirit is, that's where you find freedom. Transformation, change, freedom from, from the pain of the past, freedom from the, the chains that bind us up in our soul and our mind. Where the Holy Spirit is, that's, that's what the presence of God does. It frees people. It also helps with the power that we need to share the message. Thank God we don't just have to use our own intellect, right? I mean, I know I'm, some of you are pretty smart people. I know some pretty smart people in Austin. I know some believers that are pretty smart. God, God wants to convey his message beyond just your ability to articulate it. Look what he said to his disciples in Acts 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Life as a believer in Jesus Christ, life by the Spirit, you know what it requires? It requires more than just learning and information. It hey, we shouldn't check our brains at the door. We should be learners. We should all be learners. We should all be growing in understanding the scripture. We should all be diligent in that. But there is something that the Holy Spirit has that's extra. And it is a power that lives in us that helps us to know how to share the life that God put in us with others. It gives us insight into what's going on in them so that we'll be ready, prepared at any time. You know what the problem is with a lot of our, our culture is we've got a lot of undercover Christians, right? And they stay so undercover that after you're, there's, there's, there's sort of this feeling that you're, try, you're, you're trying to get me to, to believe something, but you're not really telling me all about what's going on in your life. Right, I think, listen, I think God wants us to share our lives with others in a way that is vulnerable and honest and open. And you can only do that if you trust him to lead you to have the right conversations at the right time. And there's, I think the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into that. And so uh, I think the Holy Spirit gives us help with gifts and, and to serve our community, not just um, the community of Christ, but also the, the greater community of Austin. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. 
different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. Work, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. The wonder of God's people is the diversity of our giftedness. You know why we need each other? Because we all have different gifts. The Holy Spirit will gift each one of us in a different way. The namesake of one chapel, you know what it means? It's, it's Jesus' prayer from John 17, and it, it essentially represents all these diverse people with all of these different perspectives and giftedness coming together and doing something powerful by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, so there's, there's a helper who gives us gifts and we make giving and serving our, our lifestyle because the Holy Spirit is empowering us through our giftedness. Then finally, we help with wisdom to know how to think. Romans 8, 6, so letting your sinful nature control you, your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind. Did you know the Spirit can control your mind? The Holy Spirit can be in charge of what goes on in your mind. Leads to life and peace. Wisdom to know how to think. The Bible also talks about how there's heavenly wisdom. There is spiritual wisdom from God that is really different than worldly wisdom. And that we, that's, that's really tricky a lot of times. And we need the Holy Spirit and the presence of God to teach us how to think and to, to, to quiet and silence the voices in our heads sometimes from our past or our history, to silence others' voices coming into our, our hearts and our minds, to know the wisdom that only God can give us. He wants to through His presence, through the Holy Spirit. So here's the bottom line. If you leave and you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. We are the carriers of God's presence. You and me. Everywhere we go, every person we interact with, we're carrying his presence. Every interaction at work, every interaction at school, every interaction with our family, we are the carriers of his presence. We carry it around. We carry him around. This was God's idea. Jesus came, and now he has a glorified body. You know what the Bible says? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. That's what Hebrews says. He is, he's able to appear to anybody he wants to. In fact, it's well documented. He appears to people in all kinds of ways, and does all kinds of things, and he, and he reveals himself. But listen, he does that by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God's presence here on the earth. And his, this is why the idea is so brilliant. Instead of Jesus popping in and out of places everywhere all over the planet, right, there's, there's, there's something that God designed that puts himself in you and in me. And we carry that around in everything we do and everything, everything we're, we're engaging with others. His presence is there. Look what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. When I first started One Chapel, when, when we had the team there and we were, we were starting in the movie theater, right? I used to say almost every Sunday, hey, hey, One Chapel, we make secular places sacred, Right? This is a movie theater, but right now it's going to become a temple where we worship God. And what I'd say is, because everywhere we go, we bring the Holy Spirit with us. God's presence is with us. And if that's true, then any place can become sacred. When you're at work and your coworker comes up to you 
during your lunch hour and says, my life's falling apart, I'm in trouble. I don't know what you believe, but I can see there's something about you and I, I don't know what to do. Would you pray for me? I know you're a praying person. And you reach across and hold that person's hand and you pray for them. You just made, you just made a secular place a sacred space. When you're interacting with people and you're, you're just doing something kind for a neighbor. When, you, when there's a, a, a problem um, between you and the other house and, and, and you, you, you go that extra mile and you, you mow their part of the yard instead of your own. I think there's something about that. Because your presence, right? You're, think about this. You're laying your head down on a pillow, most of us, less than 80 feet from another person who's struggling, right? It's just some wooden walls between you and them. When you decide you're going to be a blessing to your neighbors, you start creating a sacred space out of your neighborhood. There's so many ways that we carry this presence. And so I want to just highlight a, a few things. How do we cultivate the presence of God? How do I cultivate it in my life? Here it is. First thing I think is we need to consistently worship with community prayer and scripture. I, I think this thing where we, where we vacillate back and forth, um, it's really hard to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. It needs to be consistent. There's a consistency. One of the reasons we do 21 days of prayer is because it creates consistency. Summer is so chaotic. At least it is in our house. It seems like schedules are different and everything. But as, as, you, as you come around to the fall, you kind of lock in, and 21 days of prayer helps you do that with him. I think consistency is one of the secrets to believing and having faith that God is with you and in you. This Colossians 3.16 says, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You know what the verses were right before that? It's all about singing psalms and hymns, letting the, the word of Christ dwell in you, letting the peace of Christ have its way, letting the message of God uh, 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 percolate and resonate within your heart. It's all about that. And then it says, look, whatever you do, you're taking this with you. There is a, when that consistency happens, it starts to create a pattern. And once you create a pattern, your character is starting to be involved. Does that make sense? Second thing is ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. How do you cultivate God's presence? You ask the Holy Spirit to keep filling you. Which of your fathers, Jesus said, if you ask for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if you ask for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know why you have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you? Because you leak. All humans leak. If you have bitterness inside you, guess what's going to leak out? If you're full of yourself, leaks out. People smell it. It's not good. All people leak, so we fill up on the Holy Spirit every day. We fill up on the, on the presence of Jesus every day. And that we are the carriers of his presence, and we're cultivating that presence, and we're making sure that it's vibrant, and that we're, our lives are being led by him 
in our hearts and our minds and our soul, our emotions. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to keep filling us every day. We're being filled with Him. Finally, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. There's a scripture in Ephesians 4 that says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. All around that little verse are encouragements to get rid of unwholesome talk, to be, only, to be helpful for building other people up, to get rid of bitterness, to get rid of anger, to get rid of, uh, of this malice that lives in us. And he's saying, look, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What he's essentially saying, what Paul is saying in this letter in Ephesians is he's essentially saying, if you want the Holy Spirit to be strong and active in you, just don't do stuff he doesn't like. Don't do the stuff he doesn't like. Give it, and as soon as you spot it, just repent and turn to him. He'll be immediately present. Immediately. And it's not as if he leaves you, but I think what happens is we create distance. We, we, we have a, a will that can be exerted against him. And I think what we're trying to do is remove every barrier, remove everything that's in the way of him filling up our lives. Finally, actively loving people. 1 John 4.12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. Wait, what does God do? If, he, if we love each other, then he what? He lives in us. He, he's like... He's present in us, and his love is made complete in us. This essentially means that people don't really know what God looks like, but we can be the, the picture of God to them. His presence, they can sense it. They can tell it's there. There's something powerful going on. This fall, we're going to, we're going to partner with over 250 other churches, and we're going to do something called Love Where You Live. And it's essentially just highlighting the fact that Jesus said there's really only two commands that really matter. One is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the other is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to highlight good neighboring over the fall. We're going to talk about good neighboring, what it looks like, what it means to be the people of God, how we're willing to serve people and love people right where they are, no matter what they believe or what they think or how, even how they act, that our role as God's people is to bring the presence of God everywhere we go. That's simply it. And serving our neighbors and loving our neighbors well, God's in that. God is revealed in that, in those actions. I want you to think about what could happen in our city if there was a commitment among the believers of our city that we were the carriers of his presence. What, what would happen if, 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 if we could be the people that carry his presence into every situation, every circumstance? What would happen? How, how would that impact our workplace, our neighborhoods, our schools. This is at the root, at the foundation, is a foundational element and visionary piece of one chapel that that has to be true. That that's how people discover who Jesus really is, is by the carriers of his presence being a blessing to our city. Close your eyes and bow your head. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you now. Maybe, maybe you feel like you've just been doing your own thing. No cultivating of the presence just kind of on, on your own. 
I, I want to tell you that he's here. He's with you. He's ready. He just, wants, he just wants you to open up and usher him in. Maybe, maybe you just feel like you're resistant. Maybe, maybe you've just been holding it at him at arm's length, insisting on your own way. Could I, could I encourage you to just release, oh, turn your arms around and, and embrace him? Would you be willing to open your heart today and let him fill it up? Maybe, maybe you just think you're not good enough and you've believed the lie that there's no fixing you. There's no, there's no way you can sort of become who you should be, who God wants you to be. That is a lie. God wants to change you. He wants to transform you, and he does it by his presence. As we come to the Lord's table, would you be willing to see the Lord's table as a table of provision for you? That as you receive the bread and the cup, that it represents, it's symbolic of Jesus in his life, his body that was broken for us, his blood spilled, poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, and you would see it in that symbolic nature as you taking him in to yourself. Let him live in you. Let the Spirit of God take over. Let the presence of God settle in your heart. Let's pray about that, Father. We just ask you to speak to us, lead us, guide us, convict us of sin, help us to repent of anything that we recognize that is not of you, not from you. Lord, we want you to breathe into us the life of God. We want you to feed us and we want you to nourish us. Would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? And would you heal us with your presence and your power? We thank you for this in Jesus' name.